We are not going to give up on that young generation. We're going to mentor them, and they're going to take the charge from us someday. God knows what he's doing. I was so thrilled to hear that thousands were down in Atlanta of this generation from 18 to 25, spread all across the country. They're going to make their impact. So let's just trust God for that day when it comes and to enjoy what God is doing among all generations because we are a multi-generational church here at Old North and we believe that God's going to work his might and his wonders through every single generation as he does his work among us. Well, the weather hasn't been too cooperative. We got the bad weather out of the way. Now we got the potholes to deal with, but that's okay. Uh, we can go different ways to church and to business and so forth. But it stalled me out for two weeks on starting my final series in Proverbs that I'm calling W, and I'll explain that in just a moment. So today we launch, and perhaps you know this, but 1 Kings 4.32 says, Solomon spoke 3,000 Proverbs and his songs that he wrote were a thousand and five. Now you need to know that Solomon never did anything small. First Kings chapter four, verse 26 says that he had 40,000 stalls of horses. And first Kings 11:3, that he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now you say, well, what is a concubine? Simply, it's a mistress, a woman with whom you're not married, but with whom you go to bed. And 1,700 wives and 300 concubines, I think Solomon must have been a tired man. <laughs> Most of you know that the book of Proverbs, we've been in the last several months. And I want you to know that Solomon wrote all of those Proverbs before he began to break them. Because the Lord said to Solomon, do not multiply wives, do not multiply horses, or it'll be your downfall. And that's exactly what happened. Now, where am I heading with this introduction? Simply to say, if he wrote 3,000 Proverbs, and we don't have them all, and we've already been a number of months in the first few Proverbs, can you imagine how long it would take to get through all of his Proverbs? And so what I'm going to do is we're going to jump ahead to Proverbs chapters 10 through 31. I'm looking at a number of topics now there in a sermon series of six sermons that all start with the letter W because each of them has a one-word title that starts with W. So here are the topics that lie ahead in the next few weeks. Wounds, wrath, words, work, and women. And today I want to talk about the various people in our lives, so I've entitled it, Whoever. Let me tell you who my favorite secular female singer is. It's Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Somebody likes Barbara. Okay. She's 72, and she just released a, another bestseller. It's incredible. But back a long time ago, she had a hit called People. And in that song, she had a lyric called, People who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Now, if you have meaningful relationships, and I hope you do, it is not a matter of luck. I want you to know that God brings people into our lives by purpose and by design. It's not by luck, but you know, we are the most benefited when we have good relationships in our lives. We've been made to connect with each other. And I want to talk today about these connections because Proverbs has a lot to say about the various people that intersect with our lives on a regular basis. So what I did is I went through Proverbs and I categorized every verse on relationships and I came up with 
eight major categories of relationships in our lives, and that's what I want to talk about today, what Proverbs has to say about whoever those relationships are, eight of them, eight categories. And I'm going to deal with them from the most intimate relationship category to the furthest away from us category. And so what I want us to do is to first hear the Word of God. I want you to hear some samplings on these relationships. So I'm going to ask you to stand and honor the Word of God as I read from Proverbs some samplings of these relationships that I'll be talking about today. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Proverbs 12, 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. And finally, Proverbs 27, 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You may be seated. Wow, what great words. What a great sampling of literally dozens of Proverbs like this. So here's the big idea of my sermon today. We need to know the various kinds of people in our lives and intentionally relate well with each of them. We need to know each of the different varieties of people in our lives and know how to respond, know how to relate with each of them. So today, I realize that most of us don't take time to analyze our friends in the different categories. So I want us to push the pause button. And sometime during today or this week, I want you to think about all of these categories that I'm talking about today. But right now, I want you to follow me one after another. And I start with the closest relationships of our lives, and that is category number one. I'm calling it family friends. Now, these are the people of our own family, and they are number one because this is the basic building block of society. This is where God starts the whole process. This is where he wants things to really hum, to really go well. A special relationship in the home with the husband and the wife, the mother and the father, son and daughter, brother and sister. Of all the people on the earth, these need to have the closest special relationship of all. Now, in all of these relationships at home that I'm talking about, only two people get to pick each other. It's the husband and the wife. Nobody forced them to get married. They fell in love, and they decided, we're going to choose each other on our own volition, and so they get married. But from there on, they don't get to pick. God gets to pick their kids. And the kids, they don't get to pick their brothers and sisters. God gets to pick their brothers and sisters, uh, uncor- of course, unless it's once in a while when you adopt. But generally speaking, we take who we get and we need to love on them. Now, all the way through the Proverbs, instructions are given about these relationships. Husband is to esteem his wife. The wife is to concentrate on the well-being of her household. The parents are to train a child to live for the Lord with appropriate discipline. 
The children are to obey their parents. And I wish I had time to give you all the Proverbs that are there. I can only give you the essence. And every once in a while, I'll throw in the reference. But the household in the Proverbs wasn't just about roles and relationships. It was about loving each other in a very special way. That people who dwell in the same household should be great friends. To love and care for each other. Supporting one another. Holding each other accountable for good and godly behavior. Enjoying one another. People of the same household should be exceptional, lifelong friends. Yet we often hear that a person's home is not his castle, it is his hassle. And there's so much of that going on in America today. And there's a lot of difficulties and bickering and fighting that goes on. And people pulling their spirits away. And we've got to do all we can to reverse that. We've got to learn how to love each other in the home. Because you know what? The people that God placed in our home are to be the most special people because they are God's gift to us. That's amazing how fast time goes. The illusion is this, that our families will always be together the way they are today. All together at the same time. But you need to know that time goes fast and it is limited. And one day the children will leave the nest and life will never be the same at home. And so let's be good friends while we're at home because that's going to change. And let's be good friends the rest of the time that we have together even though we establish separate families. One of my four children no longer lives in town. The other three do. And the one who lives out of town, months go by, and we don't see him. We get on the phone, we text every once in a while, but he was up a few Easter's ago. And we were out together, just he and me, and I had this urge to tell him something. Now, it's that kind of urge you get. You say, well, that might be cheesy. It might, you know, whatever. But you get that urge. Go ahead and say it. It's an opportunity that you might not have again in exactly the same way. So I said to him, Jared, even though I was your dad, when you were home, we were good friends. And I really miss you. And now that you're gone, our friendship has only grown deeper. And Jared, you're one of my best friends, and I want that for each of my children. Well, it was a very tender moment. I, a, a tear came down my cheek, and I looked at him. He looked at me, and we hugged each other. I'm convinced that God wants the members of our family to be very good friends for a lifetime. And it is not always easy living in the same house. Is there an amen? There's all kinds of struggles. There's all kinds of strife that goes on. And the devil is in the midst of every household trying to break that house up. And you've got to recognize that you can have a front of warfare going on, but you can be victorious. And don't let anything stand in the way of being great friends in your family because God designed the very closest intimate friends to be those of the home. But there's a second category we find in Proverbs. It's, it's not just family friends, it's best friends. There's this deeper level of friendship that goes from family into very deep best friends. And that word is not used often in the Proverbs. You could translate it from the Hebrew bosom friend. Now, you don't have a lot of these kinds of friends in life, maybe one, two, or three at a time. And the reason is you can't nurture that many at one time. It takes a lot of time and attention and emotional energy. Now, if you are married, 
Hopefully, your spouse is in this category of best friend. In fact, the word is used in Proverbs 2.17 for spousal relationships, and it certainly assumes that your spouse will be your best friend. I can give testimony to the fact that from the day that Maria and I got engaged 45 years ago to this very day, she is my best friend. And that is what I want for every marriage, that the spouses would be best friends. And especially if you are single here and you are not married, you need some best friends, one, two, or three people. You need those nurturing relationships that will sustain you for a lifetime. Now, in this category, a very special relationship has arisen. Your spirits connect. You understand each other. You've got a lot of things in common. You enjoy each, com- each other's company. And there's this deep bond and trust that goes on. In fact, there's a therapist by the name of Will Miller who says that you know these kinds of friends because they have what he calls refrigerator rights. They can come into your house, open your refrigerator, and get anything they want, make a big sandwich, and they don't have to get permission. They just feel at home with you. Now, in this category, the Bible does tell us to love everyone, and we should. But in this category, you love them a little bit more than other people. I mean, is that okay? I mean, look at Jonathan and and David. They loved each other more than the other people around. Look at your own family. I love my wife and my family more than I love other people around me. That's just the way it is. In fact, even Jesus, he had his 70, he had his 12, and he had that inner three. And so we need a few best friends in our lives. And if you don't have best friends, and there are a number of people who don't, I want to tell you, you're hurting somewhere. You need a best friend, a few of them, that will nurture you. And I have discovered over the years of my ministry that there's a particularly vulnerable category who often don't have best friends, and that category is men. There are lots of men that I meet. They've got a lot of people that they work with and people in the neighborhood and all kinds of things going on, but they don't have best friends. Guys, if you don't have a best friend, you need one. They are there, gifts of God, to nurture you, and I would beseech you that you would get on your knees somehow and plead to God, send somebody into my life to be a best friend. Now, some measuring sticks for best friends. Well, how do you know if they're kind of a best friend? Well, number one, you tend to spend significant time together. You hang out a lot. You've got freedom to call them at any time and say, hey, how about coming over tonight? You know, you're not going to worry about, oh, they're too busy. No, you know them well enough, and you're together often. You're in contact often. Maybe you travel together, but you're very engaged, and it's very natural. Number two is that you feel very comfortable together. You can let your guard down, and you feel comfortable with that person, and you can truly be yourself. And with those people, you show sides of yourself you would never show to other people people. You know what I'm talking about. Number three, you're there for each other when trouble comes. Sooner or later, a crisis is going to come up in all of our lives, and a best friend drops what he or she is doing, and they run immediately, and they come to your side, and if trouble happens at three o'clock in the morning, and you're wondering who you can call, these are those kinds of people, and if three o'clock comes, and you don't know who to call, you don't have that kind of person. And I have a couple 3 o'clock in the morning friends. We all need them. 
In fact, Proverbs 17, 7 says, this kind of friend loves at all times, even three in the morning, and they will be there for you in times of adversity. Now, we get a sense in Proverbs that you don't take these relationships for granted. They need to be guarded. So you don't betray this kind of friend. You don't talk behind his back. You don't break a confidence. You realize the value of the friendship and you protect it. For when these kinds of friendships go bad, Proverbs says they're very hard to fix. Now I want to answer a question that comes to me frequently and regularly over the years of my ministry. And the question is this. Can you have a best friend of the opposite sex other than your spouse? The answer is, no, you can't. Say, wait, wait, what's the big deal? Listen, this kind of friend, the bond is too deep, it is too loyal, it is too emotional with too many pitfalls. You must limit your opposite sex friends if you're married to the next category. So I'm talking about family friends, best friends. I come to the third category of close friends. We could also call this category, as the Proverbs do, beloved friends. Because this word is used sparingly in the Proverbs, but it has the meaning of one who loves. Now, it doesn't quite have the intensity in Proverbs as the best friend. But it indicates a very strong friendship. And you have this vital connection with people at this level, and you feel very comfortable with them. You're happy to be around them. You spend some time with them. They're kind of on the forefront of people you might hang out with from time to time. You do enjoyable things. They could be people at church, people in certain businesses and professional associates and coworkers. They could be certain neighbors. They could be some dear friends from the past that you keep up with but you're not always in contact with. They could be your small group. They're not your best friends, but they're close friends. And when you study this category in Proverbs, you realize that there's a lot of responsibility and investment that goes on in these friends as well. And here's just a sampling. Be careful not to be in their home too often to wear out your welcome. Be careful that you don't take jokes too far with them. Be careful to give them good counsel. Do not flatter them for personal gain. Look, overlook their faults. Meet their needs when you can. Measure your words with them. And do not bear false witness and seek reconciliation if you've offended them quickly. So you can see, this is not an automatic relationship. It takes time. It takes investment. And that's why you cannot manage dozens and dozens of people at this level. So if you have best friends, one, two, or three, how many can you sustain at this level? Sociologists tell us nine to 12 in this category. In fact, those who study the church and sociology in the church say that if you have six of these kinds of people in your life, in your local church, you'll do well in that church. But if you go to a church and you say, I don't have any friends in that church, probably two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to have negative feelings about that church. And number two, probably before too long, you'll leave that church. Because we all need friends among the assembly of God's people. Well, let's move to the next category. And as you'll see, with each category, we lose a little intimacy. So we saw family friends, best friends, close friends. Now category number four is what we're calling casual friends. 
And the word that Proverbs uses here is the word neighbor. It's probably used 32 times, and it has an association of a number of relationships, but basically it's talking about people who are more or less casual acquaintances, and the context must decide the meaning. But in the main, we're talking about a person that we know, but we don't have a lot of intimacy with. These are people in regular proximity. They are your neighbors, the people you work with the people at church, the people you do business with at the store or the bank. You know each other's name and a little bit about each other's life, and you're friendly when you meet, but you really don't have that social and personal life with them. Now, when you study through Proverbs, you realize you also have relational responsibilities to casual friends. And so we discover that we're to treat them well in every respect, and even though we don't know them, We're responsible to enrich them whenever we're with them. And we're never to harm them. In fact, Jesus refers to this kind of friend when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of these kinds of friends can you have? Well, they tell us you can have a hundred or more of these kinds of friends. Just depends on your memory so you don't forget their name. But you can have a lot of these kinds of friends, and they are enriching and beneficial. But the rewards are limited because they don't go that deep. And so Proverbs says in 18 and verse 24 that best friends are more desirable than casual friends, although they are good, because casual friends cannot give you what you need in your time of need. So we've seen family friends, best friends, close friends, casual friends. Let's move down the line to what we're calling fair weather friends. Now we've all seen these kinds of friends. They are around us and their trademark is they're friendly if they think they can get something from you. And Proverbs picks up on this. And it says if you have a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of these kind of friends. And if you have a lot of things going and good times and people want to hang out with you because it's fun, you're going to have a lot of these kinds of friends. But when the rough times come, and if you don't have a lot of money and you're not fun to be with because it's not a good time, where are they? They don't show up. Proverbs says they forsake you. For you see, this kind of friend is in it for himself. He wants an easy relationship without problems, and he wants to gain something from the relationship. And so he's a user. He's a taker. And when there's no benefit to be gained by the relationship, she moves on. There's no loyalty, and eventually they show their true colors. Now, when Solomon talks about this kind of friend, he's not recommending them. He's warning you. Look out for fair-weather friends. They are found wherever they can get something for themselves. And you cannot build a solid relationship with fair-weather friends. Be nice to them, but you're, no un- you're under no obligation to go deep with them. And so, we've seen family friends, best friends, close friends, casual friends, fair-weather friends. Now we're coming up to casual- category number six, what we're calling undesirable friends. And sometimes it's so hard for people not to recognize who's not good for them, especially among the younger generation. Parents, you all know how hard it is sometimes to convince your children that the people they're hanging out with aren't good for them. So Solomon talks to his son, talks to his daughter, and say, you know, there's some people out there that aren't good for you. Don't hang out with them. And so he says, how do you know who these people are? 
They are people who do things and say things that don't line up with the laws and the commands of God. They go in the wrong direction. And Proverbs says, if you hang out with people like that, they will influence you for bad. You will not influence them for good. Even Paul picks up this concept in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, when he says, bad company, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. So, these kind of people who might be fun to be with and have a whole lot of joy around town, but their character isn't good. Proverbs says you do not make friends with them. You do not hang out in their house. They do not hang out at your house. And you go further. You're not on the phone and your social devices with them all the time. And you're not out on the town with them. Do you get my drift? Say amen, somebody. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you can't have it that way or they will do damage. In fact, Proverbs says there's a list of people that you need to put aside, that you don't hang out with, that you don't go around with because they'll hurt you. Number one, a violent person. Number two, a gossip. Number three, an angry person. Number four, a selfish person. Number five, a heavy drinker. Number six, a heavy eater. Number seven, an immoral person. And number eight, a person who breaks promises. Because people who have these kinds of character flaws will bring their character flaws to you. And you have to understand that Solomon is saying, if we choose friends, they reveal more about us than about the friend. In fact, when we choose undesirable friends, it's a commentary on our own lives. So I say to you as what Solomon said, Choose friends with character that you want to develop in you. Stay away from those who don't. And so we've seen family friends, best friends, close friends, casual friends, fair weather friends, undesirable friends. The next category we find in Proverbs is the stranger, kind of neutral. But yet there's caution that goes with this category. The word stranger here in Proverbs means foreigner or alien. It's a person who is a newcomer in our lives. We meet them on trips. We can meet them in church. We can meet them in the community. I have some Facebook friends I've met this way because uh, I was on an airplane to Israel three years ago. I met somebody, and they were a stranger to me. We're Facebook friends, but that's all the further it goes. But God has a heart for the stranger. And the New Testament, we're encouraged to be people of hospitality, and hospitality simply means lover of strangers. And we're to treat strangers as we treat a friend with warm hospitality. We're not to ignore them. We're to enrich them. We're to welcome them. In fact, in churches, like Old North Church, we are to be a very friendly church to strangers, to make them feel very much at home. Now, sometimes strangers become our close friends. They go up that ladder, and they become much closer to us. But Proverbs warns us with a stranger to go slow and use caution, to give small pieces of your heart at one time. And if the, if the stranger treats that heart well, you give him more. But Proverbs says you never risk your whole heart all at the same time. And be sure they're giving you their heart in return. And so we have this mixed situation. We have the stranger we're to treat well. And we're to be careful that they're trusted until they earn their right to move up the ladder of intimacy. And now we're to the last category. We've seen family friends. 
We've seen best friends, close friends, casual friends, fair weather friends, undesirable friends, strangers, and now we come to enemies. Enemies. And I want to tell you right at the front, if I were writing the Bible, it would be written differently here. I would say ignore your enemy, do some dirt to your enemy, make him feel your pain, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's our natural impulse, isn't it? It goes entirely counterintuitive here in Proverbs as well as in Romans and other places. Look at this. It is amazing to me the position the Bible takes on our enemies. Proverbs is consistent with the teachings of Jesus and Paul. When we have opportunity, it says we are to, uh-oh, you listen to this, minister to our enemies. Incredible. Minister to them. Look what Proverbs says, chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him water. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. That's picked up by Paul in Romans chapter 12 as well. And so our tendency, we want to make our enemies suffer and feel our pain. But Proverbs tells us not to rejoice when the enemy falls, because then God is displeased with us. So, if a person hates us, if a person hurts us with ill will, that, my friends, is God's invitation that we would deal with them in ministry and let God deal with them in vengeance because it is not our job to hurt our enemy. In fact, Proverbs 16, 7 says, we're to keep our heart right before God so that he can protect us from our enemies. In fact, our job is to be kind to our enemies. And Jesus told us this phenomenal statement. (laughs) Love your enemies and pray for them. Now, he's not telling us there to feel towards our enemies as we feel towards our friends. What he is telling us is that we are to be a channel of blessing to our enemies instead of instruments of revenge. That's what he's saying. Somehow, we must learn that the best revenge to our enemies is to do good to them. And that's a very hard thing to learn. But how we treat our enemies is an indicator about our relationship with God. Well, there you have it. Eight categories of people that we have to deal with in our lives, and the wise person knows the categories and understands the responsibilities with each category. And as I close today, I want to give you some words of advice. Number one, I would like you to assess each category of relationships in your life. You've got the bulletin insert. You can see those eight categories. I'd like you to go through that list and say, hey, here's how I'm doing with my family. Here's how I'm doing with my best friend. Here's how I'm doing with my fair weather. Here's how I'm doing with the people that I shouldn't be hanging out with and that kind. Here's how I'm doing with my enemies. Take time to think it over and make some mid-course correction because most of us need to make a few changes. Number two, concentrate on the top three levels for the next month. Concentrate on the top three levels. You know, there are scores of people in our lives. People at work, people at school, people in the community, people in sports. I mean, the list goes on. You can't give everybody all that you have. It's just impossible. So for the next 30 days, concentrate on the top level. Your family, friends, your best friends, your close friends. Enrich them. They are your very best earthly treasures. But that doesn't leave you off the hook for everybody because number three is this. Be a blessing to everyone you meet. Do you know that today even, 
the people that you're going to cross in the lobby or maybe people you'll come across at lunch or whatever, God put them in front of you. And do you know why? In that moment, on that occasion, he wants you to be Jesus to them. He wants you to act on his behalf and enrich them and touch them that you'd represent Jesus to everyone you meet. And you stand in the place of Jesus to minister to somebody, whoever it is that you meet in that moment. And finally, you need to realize that some people in your life in those categories need Jesus. It might be somebody in your family. It might be a close friend. It might be a casual friend. But I am almost guaranteeing you that everybody in this room is going to have somebody in one of those categories that needs Jesus. And that's the reason we're doing Reach One this year. Because I know that I've got somebody, and then you've got somebody. I've got more than one who need the Lord. And somehow, God has placed those people in our lives in one of those categories that we can somehow serve them. We can somehow invite them to something. We can somehow share our faith with them in an appropriate way. And so today, I'm saying to you as you leave, how great it would be that you could take a card and invite them to Easter. Maybe take three or four of them to people that you know in one of those categories because they need Jesus and somehow they might be exposed to the gospel, the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's my first sermon on the W series, whoever. Scores of people in our life we need to reach because it all boils down to this in Proverbs relationally. Relationally, Proverbs is about the life of Jesus lived out through wise people as they touch other people's lives. And if we treat people in our lives like Proverbs tells us to, we will make a huge difference for good. I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads. No one looking around. And did the Holy Spirit speak to you today somehow about some adjustment that you need to make in one or more of those categories. Maybe you've been, been a pain to live with in the home. Maybe you haven't been the kind of friend you need to be towards somebody. Maybe you, you have an offense. Maybe you've been ignoring them because of pressures and time, and all of a sudden you realize you're taking them for granted. I don't know what the Spirit of God's speaking to you, but my invitation is this, that you would stand right where you are. You don't have to come forward, but just stand where you are. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. Because if I were in that pew with you, I'd be standing because I need to continually nurture my relationships. So across this worship center, if God has spoken to you about a change you need to make, something you need to do in a relationship, just stand where you are. And I'm going to pray. All across, yes, many of you are standing. Yes, indeed. Hallelujah. God is moving. Don't let the devil have opportunity to steal anything from these relationships. Step up. Let the Spirit of God move. <clears throat> and you be the reason things will change. Anyone else, and then I'll pray. We're waiting for you. Just anybody else. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Even young people are standing. I mean, grade school, high school, anyone else. Father, thank you for this collection of people who stood. Your spirit has spoken and you've highlighted something, maybe in yellow or underlined, so to speak, in our heart, that we need to make an adjustment of some sort with somebody in our lives. And I pray, Father, that um, 
we do that humbly before you. Just surrender our hearts to those mid-course corrections that need to be made and then to watch what's going to happen. Now, the devil's going to take opportunity, we know, to hurt relationships. That's his specialty. We come against that and make our homes strong, make those friends that we need at the top so strong in our lives that we can withstand anything, especially with the friendship we have with Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Would you all stand now? We're going to sing a final song. Come before the Lord. Give Him total praise as we sing.